I think it's important that I kind of recap what we said this morning as we talked, as I talked about from the book of James, when troubles won't go away. And we dealt with that discussion in light of four important questions. Number one, what are some true things about suffering? One thing is true about suffering, and that is that it is inevitable. There are no exemptions and no exceptions. We also said that another thing is true about suffering, that it has a purpose. Its purpose is to produce endurance and maturity of character. The second question is how can I master my troubles? If I don't conquer them, they conquer me. And the answer is threefold, found in three words in verses 2, 3, and 4 of James 1. When we consider trouble, first is consider from the mindset of joy. The leading thought is a thought of joy, positive thought. Second, when we comprehend that troubles are not for bad but for good. And when we cooperate with God and with our troubles in order for God to accomplish something good. The third question is how do troubles overcome or overwhelm us? The answer is twofold, because of a lack of, lack of wisdom. Wisdom in the sense of not being able to see them from God's perspective. And so the, the author said, if anyone lacks God's perspective, let him ask of God. And the second was because of a lack of faith. That is, we want God's will, but we want ours. It's, not, it's difficult for us just to open our hand up and submit to God's will. And then the final question is, when I've mastered trouble, what then? How does, what's the characteristic of my life? And we said there is real joy, real happiness, and real living. Now we come tonight to stand in the presence of a man who suffered. I want to tell you that as I prepared this message and I thought about it and read from Job, I, I don't even feel that I'm worthy to talk about this man tonight. What a man of God. And what tremendous suffering he experienced and what a tremendous faith. And so I must say to you, as uh, you understand about your own self, there is nobody that suffered like this except Jesus himself. Somebody says that the children of God are facing some great opportunities that are brilliantly disguised as unsolvable problems. I want you to I want to run that back again so you can chew on that a little. God's people are facing some great, brilliant opportunities that are brilliantly disguised as unsolvable problems. Job faced an unsolvable problem. It seemed it was a tremendous opportunity for him. For it does seem that God always does his best work when the odds are the greatest against him. It seems that God always accomplishes the greatest things when it's impossible to do it. He does his greatest work with impossibilities. The scenes of Job take place in, in there are really five scenes that I want to look at tonight. Starts on earth goes to heaven, comes back to earth, 
goes back to heaven, comes back to earth. And I want to skip down to verse 6, and I want to begin in scene 2. Now let's try to be quiet and still, because we're standing in the presence tonight of one of the most remarkable stories in all of God's Word. Beginning verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And notice, and Satan also came among them. He had access into the presence of God. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around, on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Garden Kleinert has a marvelous sermon from that statement. Does, God, does Job serve God for naught? He's not serving you for nothing. There's a purpose in it. There's a reason for it. There's an ulterior motive in it. Does Job fear God for nothing? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now, and touch all that he has. He will surely curse thee to thy face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. Don't touch his body, and don't touch his soul. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Now it happened on the day back on earth, the scene shifts, when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, that a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians attacked and took them, they also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, while he was talking, another man came in, interrupted. While he was still speaking, he said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking. Another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Now I want you to capture the drama of that without um, 
attempting to be melodramatic. I want you to look at all that he's lost. He lost everything he had, including his children. Now I want to move to the second part of this um, sermon and the outline you have before you, and I want us to look at the responses of Job to this suffering. How did Job respond and what was his action when he heard this terrible, tragic news? Number one was the response of worship. Verse 20, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head. Now that was a symbol that Job was recognizing that he had lost everything. It was the symbol that he was stripped of everything he had. I'll never forget the man in my church who went astray and got drunk one night and got involved in some things and was sent to prison. When he was uh, dismissed from prison, he came back home and he and I were talking. He said, they took me inside the prison's walls and they slammed the doors and they stripped me naked and shaved my head. And he said, I have never felt such degradation and humiliation and loss in all my life. For the symbol of that thing was, you've come in here now and you have nothing. And Job shaved his head and he fell to the ground. And the picture there is of one who falls to his knees and then he topples over on his face in a gesture of adoration and worship. He prostrates himself on the ground and worship God. Now you would expect that what he would do when this happened, the news came, you would expect that he might fall on his knees and scream out to God and ask why. And you might expect that he would fall on his knees and call out to God for mercy. But I want you to know that this is the greatest news that this passage could give. He fell on his knees, he fell over on his face, and he worshiped God. And he has a New Testament counterpart in the Apostle Paul, and they put them in the midnight hour, in the Philippian jail, in the innermost chambers, in the stocks, after they had beaten their backs till they were bleeding. And the Scripture says that at midnight, Paul and Silas were singing and praising God. They were at worship. For it seems to me that God's great men always worship Him at midnight. Klein said, Behold the wise man Job. Wise not because he understood or comprehended the mystery of God, but wise because when he did not comprehend the mystery, he worshiped still. I wonder if there's any of you tonight that if that happened to you, would you worship him? And he had no answer as to why, but nevertheless, he worshiped God. It was the response of worship. Second, it was a response of humility. Verse 21, 
And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't know if you caught that or not, but the devil said, You take away these things from Job, and he'll curse you to your face. And the things were taken away, and he blessed him to his face. In other words, Job did the exact opposite of what Satan said he would do. Someone said that the activity of Satan is an activity of accusation. He accuses God to man. That's what he did in the Garden of Eden. He he accuses man to man. That's why we have strife and division. And he accuses man to God. He was accusing man to God in this scene and he said, you take these things away and and Job will curse you to your face. How it must thrill God when man responds in the exact opposite of what Satan accuses. And he blessed him. And he said, naked I came into the world and naked I will return there. A response of humility. In other words, Job was saying, God doesn't owe me a thing. I didn't have a thing when I came into this world. God doesn't owe me. They interviewed this couple and and this man and his wife, and they were holding each other and they were weeping. Their house and all their possessions burned up. And the man said, We don't have anything left. We've lost everything we have. If you lost the things that you have, would you lose everything that you have? There was third, the response of silence. Verse, chapter 2, verse 7. I want you to look. Let's just begin reading again at verse 1, chapter 2. And again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said, asked the same question, and then look at verse 4. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. However, put forth your, your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, that is, you make him hurt all the way to the bone. You let his suffering go all the way to the bone, and he will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Now, I want to, this is not going to be pleasant, but I want to share with you, I want you to notice with me, I don't know whether you've ever taken the time to observe this or not, the extent or the scope of this man's suffering. Let's just trace it for it right quickly, will you? Look at verse 8, the scope of the suffering of Job. And he took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. That is to say, that these terrible boils that came all over his body from the sole of his foot to the top of his head had terrible itching. 
And so he took this instrument and he dug away at these boils because they, were, they had terrible itching. There was terrible itching. Look at chapter 7, verse 4. Chapter 7, verse 4. When I lie down, I say, When will I arise? But the night continues, and I am continually tossing until dawn. There was insomnia. He couldn't sleep, perhaps because, partly because of the terrible itching of the boils. There was no sleep. And so he would toss and turn in the night. And verse 5 says that his skin hardened and these sores would ooze and run. Horrible thing. Then look at verse 14 of chapter 7. Then thou dost frighten me with dreams and terrify me by visions. When he would maybe doze off from this terrible insomnia that he would have. He would have terrifying dreams and nightmares. Have you ever experienced anything like that? How horrible is it to go to bed every night, toss and turn, be unable to sleep, finally get to sleep and be tortured with nightmares. Turn over to chapter 30. Just hold your place there so we're coming back to chapter 2 in a minute. Chapter 30, verse 16. Now my soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have seized me. At night it pierces my bones within me. And my gnawing pains take no rest. There was the gnawing pain and suffering. And then skip down to 30. My skin turns black on me. And my bones burn with fever. Man, what suffering. And if you'll turn back to chapter 19, I want to show you something that I, bet I, I would imagine you've probably never seen before, and that's verse 17. And he says in verse 17, and some of you may smile at this, but it's not funny. My breath is offensive to my wife, and I am loathsome to my own brothers, the death that was inside of this man in his suffering just reeked out of his breath. Horrible suffering. But you notice, there was no doubled up fist in the face of God and, and a bitter defiance saying, how dare you do this to me? And there's no whining self-pity in Job. And if you'll turn back to chapter 2, verse 9, you'll find the counsel of his wife. And she said, Are you going to maintain your integrity? Why don't you curse God and die? Even his own wife's counsel was terrible. And Spurgeon said, Why did God then leave him? Why did Satan then leave him to his wife? Because he knew that she would be a sufficient scourge to bring him to his knees. Number four is the response of acceptance. Chapter 2, verse 10. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? 
and not evil? Shall we ex indeed accept good from God and not adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. In other words, he said, we've taken all the good things from God. We've accepted all that God has given us that is good. Now we must accept the adversity. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I like Amy Carmichael, a contemporary English poet. She says this about acceptance. He said, I will forget the dying faces, the empty places, they shall be filled again. O voices moaning deep within me, cease, but vain the word, vain, vain, not in forgetting life, peace. He said, I will crowd action upon action. The strife of faction shall stir me and sustain. O tears that drown the fire of manhood, cease, but vain the word, vain, vain, not in endeavor life peace. He said, I will withdraw me and be quiet. Why meddle in life's riot? Shut be my door to pain. Desire, thou dost befool me, thou shalt cease, but vain the word, vain, vain, not in aloofness, life, peace. He said, I will accept the breaking sorrow, which God tomorrow will to his son explain. Then did the turmoil deep within him cease, not vain the word, not vain, for in acceptance lieth peace. Now, if you'll move to the last part of the outline, I want us to look at three reasons why he was able to conquer. I'll just have time to mention them, then I'm through. First, he looked up and was comforted by God's sovereignty. How did Job, how did he come out of all of this suffering? How did, how did he manage to make it through all of this. Now, now some of us have, have never experienced anything like this, but there may be some kind of suffering, some kind of trial, just around the corner. How, how, did, he, how did he triumph? Well, first, he looked up and he was comforted by the sovereignty of God. If you'll turn to the 38th chapter, I, don't, I wish I could read it. I was just sitting in my office just a minute ago, just going over this, and I read 38 and 39, magnificent passage of Scripture, and God spoke to Job and said, in, in essence, listen man, I'm sovereign. I've, I created all this universe. I'm in control. I'm the sovereign God. And he looked up and he saw God's sovereignty. And he was comforted by it. Secondly, he looked ahead and was reminded of God's promises. Flip back over to the 19th chapter of Job, verse 25. I just want to read that verse, 19, 25. And as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. 
and at the last he will take his stand on this earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes shall see, and not another. My heart faints within me. The promise of God is that his Redeemer lives and he'll stand on the earth and he'll see him with his eyes. And so he looked ahead and was reminded of God's promises. And when you're able to do that, you can conquer conquer trouble. Finally, he looked within and was taken by God's instructions. Chapter 42, let's read it together. He looked within and was taken by God's instructions. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do all things, and that no purpose of thine can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I do not understand. I don't understand it things too wonderful for me, which I do not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask thee, and do thou instruct me. Listen. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye sees thee. Therefore, I repent, I retract, and I repent, dust and ashes. This is what he said. I'd heard all about you. I'd heard all there is to to hear about you. But now I see you for the first time. And in seeing you, I see myself. And I repent. It's a great day when a man sees the Lord and sometime he never sees him except in the whirlwinds of trouble. And when he sees him, he always sees himself. Can you look up tonight and see the sovereignty of God and know that God is in control and God's will for your life is what is best? Can you look ahead tonight with any assurance of the promises of God that you will see Him? Can you look within yourself tonight and see that which causes you to say, I repent? If you can, then what was accomplished in the life of Job can be accomplished in you. And I pray, God, that you and I will not have to experience what this man experienced in order to be able to come to those last three steps. 
Would you bow your head with me?